0: I've launched, I think it's 56 or 57 apps at this point, and all but about six of them have completely failed. I say that mostly because it's like, I've launched more failures probably than anyone in the app store in some ways, and that's the way that you can end up with success. I've just kept trying, and it got me that little baseline of income that it was like, okay, I'm not just wasting my time here. Hey, you're listening to the SubClub Podcast, a show dedicated to the best practices for building and growing subscription app businesses, We'll share insider secrets from the top subscription apps on the app stores. Let's get into the show.
1: Welcome to the Subclub Podcast. I'm your host, David Bernard, and with me as always, Jacob Iding. Hello, Jacob. Hi hi, David number one. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. Our guest today, David number two, is uh, David Smith, longtime indie developer and podcaster. Starting with audiobooks in 2009, David has built many successful apps over the years, including WatchSmith, Pedometer++, and Sleep++. His most recent app, WidgetSmith, went viral on TikTok and hit number one on the App Store. Welcome, David.
0: Thank you, it's uh, great to be here.
1: Yeah, it's great to chat. We've, uh, we've chatted in person a few times and bumped into each other at WWDC over the years. Um, I mean, you've been doing this pretty much since the very beginning, right? When you're uh, Audiobooks came out in 2009. When did, when did you actually start working on that?
0: Um, so I mean, it wasn't even my first, first app. I think my first app that never went anywhere was launched in 2008. So, I mean, I was within a couple of months of the app store launching. Um, so I've been doing it essentially as long as you could. Um, and I think I started working on audio, yeah, audio the end of 2008. And it's just kind of grown from there. So it's about 13 years in the app store.
1: Wow. Yeah, about like me and and Jacob actually, we both yeah. um, had apps on the, the App Store. The halcyon days of
2: of paid up front and uh, only two hundred apps on the App Store and all that. It was <laughs> a good yep. time. Did you do? Were you uh, a develop like a Mac developer before that, or how did how did uh, you
0: trip into iOS? Sure. So, I mean, I was a a web developer before um, I did this. And so, I mean, honestly, I I started writing apps before I even actually owned an iPhone. I just, Mm -hmm. it seemed like a good opportunity and (laughs) I wasn't particularly happy where I was at work. And it was just something that I thought would be an interesting opportunity. And I started learning and didn't know what I was doing for a long time, but just kept at it. And so it's just one of those things that I got into mostly because it seemed like a good opportunity at the time. And so, you know, I just... Eventually I initially was doing some web consulting as well as my iOS work and eventually just the web consulting disappeared and it became iOS full time. Um and that's you know sort of been the story for more than a you know, about ten years now, probably.
2: Yeah. No, I was uh kind of similar, like I, I just saw it come in and was like, hmm, maybe I should and I went and picked up the Mac OS uh the the Hillagus book and learned yeah, Mac OS programming like yeah. <laughs> Cause there was no iOS book, right? There was no iOS, no. it was iPhone OS, right? Uh, uh, but, uh, but yeah, it was a different time, fewer apps, way smaller community. Uh, so yeah. Interesting decade.
1: I did want to start by digging into the story of audiobooks, And, um, I think one of the, one of the interesting things to me, because it, it happened to me as well is how, um, having this kind of foundation app that, that, that started in 2009, that did well enough and and i'm I'm kind of jumping ahead here a little bit but i i I think if i know your story correctly that's audiobooks is kind of what helped you make the leap to be full-time indie and then once you become full-time indie you started to have the time to experiment with all these other apps um and a, a similar thing with me like i've had a couple of key apps over the years that kind of provided that like foundation of income that let me keep going and then that allowed me to experiment with all these different apps, like Launch Center Pro ended up coming out of, of already having income to be able to take this big bet. Uh, and then Mirror came along where it was doing really well and I was able to take other bets. And so it seems like th- that's somewhat the story of audiobooks. So, um, so let's, let's dig into that. So it was 2008, you had had a, a, a failure, and then you, you start working on this audiobooks in late 2008 um what was the what was the inspiration and and um and and how did how did you kick off that
0: yeah so i mean audiobooks was an app that it, it wraps it's a essentially it's a it's a wrapper and a player for uh free public domain audiobooks um that was all it was and it was essentially just coming into the market because um, at the time I mean there were there wasn't an, an easy way to listen to any audiobooks uh, on the iPhone at that point um, I mean, there wasn't an audible app there wasn't you know uh, mm. Apple didn't have anything and it was just you could I guess you could listen to audiobooks I think in the music app potentially but it was but yeah, strange. you
2: could buy them on iTunes right
0: yeah.
1: Were, like, yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and
0: so that's where the idea for the the app came from and it became and it's just sort of it it just, it, it took off in a way that I wasn't really expecting and necessarily that it became, you know, and it became, was, was successful. And because it was an app that had a very broad appeal, it was something that I think, as you say, it's a, like built a, a platform for me to then continue to experiment and try things. And, um, uh, I mean that, that app has gone through, it, the, originally it was paid up front and then it went free with ads. And then I tried selling my own ads for a while. Um, I sort of went through lots of different models over it over the years, but, um, it was certainly the app that I think was my first thing that was commercially viable, where I don't think on its income initially, I would have been able to go indie, but it was the kind of thing right. where it became a client for me when I was doing consulting work. And I would mm-hmm. say like, you know, it would buy my time because it would start to generate enough income. And at first it was like, maybe it would buy me 10 hours a week that I could work um, on my kind of like independent stuff. And then maybe mm-hmm. the event would do better. And now it could buy 20 hours a week of my time. And eventually, it you know, bought all of my time. And I think that model worked really well for me to have that initial success that I could then keep trying things. And I mean, I've launched, I think it's up to, I think it's 56 or 57 apps at this point, wow. um, and all, but about six of them have completely failed. <laughs> That's incredible. And I say that mostly because it's like, it is so it's like I've launched, some, I've launched more failures probably than anyone in the app store in some ways. And like, that's the way that you can end up with success, though, is, is that it's just like I've just kept trying. And I think audiobooks was a useful one because it got me that a little baseline of income that it was like, OK, this is not just I'm not just wasting my time here but it allowed me to then just keep trying and lots of things, you know, lots of ideas and lots lots of things went different places. Some of them had their moment in the sun and then like failed off. Like there was a period in the app store where you, the classic model is you had a paid upfront app and you'd make, you know, a reasonable amount of money in the first two weeks and then it would make almost no money ever again. And that was just the way it was. And mm-hmm. like, that's a model that, um, isn't very sustainable, but, you know, it's like if you had something that had a bit more, you know, regular income as a baseline, you could make work.
2: And that's how you incentivize a developer to make 60 some apps, right? Yeah, <laughs> <So> like, <laughs> exactly. Uh, and I just as like a, a curiosity, did the, the audiobooks in audiobooks, what was the source for those? Were those like pre-recorded public domain or?
0: Yeah. Exactly. So there's a, a thing called the LibriVox project where people volunteer to read um, classic audiobooks, so, you know, essentially you know Dickens or Jane Austen or things like this that are out of out of uh, copyright. And so people volunteer to read them, and then um, those are just available on the internet. And this essentially, my, my app was just a wrapper for that. It was mm-hmm. just a way to um, get into that. And the people who actually who run the LibriVox project were actually very happy with it. Like it was they because they, for them they, there was no easy way to get their audio onto an iPhone. And so they were delighted that were, you know this app was just creating a venue for their project to get a lot more visibility and interest.
2: And you got an incredible like app store parked name, just audiobooks. That's a great one.
1: <laughs> that, that's exactly what I was going to dive into like how did, did did that was that just kind of a happy accident, or in 2008 did you already start to notice? Because it, it took me like three or four years, I'm a little slow in the uptake to to realize that these like naming a keyword instead of trying to create a brand was actually a fairly successful strategy for a lot of apps. So did you just stumble into that or or was it somewhat intentional?
0: Um I mean I think it was it was largely just a result of I didn't have a name for, I didn't have a better name and because the content of it was so generic it it wasn't like there was a natural branding that I was doing this, and it's like yeah, it's the early days of the App Store, so you could just pick an, a, <laughs> a proper noun and it would be available because there were only a few hundred or a few thousand apps in the App Store, and so I picked it, I tried it, and it certainly has turned out well in that regard. That it still has reasonably good, you know, search 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 optimization and things, because if you want an audiobook and you go into the App Store and search audiobooks, it's an exact name match, so you know Audible likely still ranks higher because it has more traffic, but. Um, it's going to be in one of the top couple of hits. Um, and that's just a natural thing. And I wouldn't say it was intentional, like this is part of some grand plan, but, um, it is certainly something that I found useful. I mean, many of my other apps, uh, like I have an app called pedometer plus, plus and sleep plus, plus, which, um, the plus plus when the app store is doing its algorithm for searching typically just sort of drops off. And so they sort they rank very well for those terms for sleep or pedometer. Um, and then, but I learned though, that it's important to have something be somewhat trademarkable just for um, legal reasons and copycats and those kind of things. And so mm. having something ad- additional to it um, was helpful that I could trademark those terms and go after people who are, are being, you know, tr- tr- sort of try- trying to be- benefit from the, any sort of success I've had on it. But I think, and those tricks, they're always a bit tricky. Cause like they, they are useful at the time, but they're not really long lived and right. you can't rely on them. Like, it's if apple just tweaks their algorithm slightly then it goes away so it's not worth chasing necessarily but it certainly in this case worked out well for me and was useful but is you know less in, less of a factor now
2: if you if you made audiobooks today it would be audiobooks degree sign tiny cross probably <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um yeah,
1: exactly. i was going to ask though about you know algorithm changes over the years and things like that um did you, have you seen a, cause you took it free in like 2010 or something, right? Like pretty early, you yeah, switched pretty to early. that purchase model. Um, so like what I saw with my mirror app was that once I switched it to, it was like mirror by app or something. And I switched it to mirror with like a little, um, uh, uh, Unicode symbol that looks like a mirror. And so then it was the exact match for mirror. And then it, it just really took off. And it was, it, it's been the number one, and I, I ended up selling that app in 2017, but it's still the number one hit for Mirror on the App Store. And um, I got to, I think around 2015, there was kind of a peak of like five, 6,000 organic downloads every single day. And then even though, it, even though like the ASO didn't change, like it still ranked for all of these keywords and everything else, it did slowly kind of start to dip and, and I kind of wonder if that was if, if that somewhat follows the kind of people going to the app store searching generic keywords. It was like the iPhone more and more people were buying them, more and more people were coming like first time into the app, so you can either confirm or or, or debunk my uh, thesis here that that there was kind of a wave and then a a a, um, a crest and a, a fall of the of these Uh, organic searches on the on the app store
0: yeah i mean i think there's definitely i couldn't speak with authority about it but that seems consistent with my experience where i think there in the early days of the app store there was definitely a higher sense of just curiosity that people would open the app store and just be browsing Mm. and just not Mm. necessarily looking for anything particular because they didn't know what their phone could do they hadn't like that. They have a phone and they knew it was going to be good for you know texting and email. But oh, there's an app store. Let's see what it does. And I think that phase is certainly behind us. That I think people mm. know what they know what they know what they're you know they know they know what they want to use their phone for. And very often they're going for a particular thing, not just like browsing. And I th- and I think if you were. Um, and similarly, I imagine if you're just one, looking for a generic term, you may not start in the app store, even if that's where you're going to get the app, you right. may start in, Google. um, in, in Google or YouTube or somewhere Best else that, dot, 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 app. yeah, like you're, you that's because there's a mature enough ecosystem there that there's a better way to find that. And even though the app store is a great place, but it's, um, I think that's some, those kind of just generic organic, uh, downloads are much harder to, to sort of, to find at this point. And I, I think that's just the reality.
1: And, and did you see that similar kind of build and crest and fall as far as, like, since, since audiobooks is so heavily reliant on organic installs, you don't, I mean, from what I understand, you don't do any paid advertising for it, um, did it kind of crest around that 2014, 2015, and then, or have, have organic downloads been pretty stable?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I, I couldn't tell you a date. I don't look at, actually look at the numbers, but it certainly is in that way that there was that. I think there were, have been a couple of phases of the App Store, and there was in the early first maybe four or five years, um, you had that much sort of just higher interest, and it was easier to be, be seen. And I would say sort of in the last five years, the acqu- user acquisition reality of being in the app store is very different that it, it is, there's a lot more either like just organic organic is more, more challenging. And, uh, I don't do very much paid, but I think that would be the only way that if I actually wanted to affect change, um, to my downloads beyond kind of just word of mouth and natural, um, sort of, I think at this point, a lot of my downloads are coming from sort of the word of mouth version of organic rather than the, someone coming to the Mm. app store with a need and then trying to find it. Um, and so. That's just, that's just a guess. But I think there certainly is those, they're, they're, the app store has changed dramatically in 13 years. I think there's there's certainly no doubt about it.
2: I think the the user base too. I mean, I, I think about the way I, that, that I was start, what we were talking about is I was thinking about like my usage patterns pre and kind of post that era. And I think one thing that has changed is kind of I kind of found all the apps I needed by 2015. Yeah. You know, I kind of got, I got my podcast app, I got my this app, I got my that app. I don't really go in there, just doing that, that what you're talking about, uh, the the like, oh, what can I find for my phone anymore, <laughs> right? It's just not something I do. I still occasionally get a recommendation or I find something organically or whatever. But, um, you know, and yeah, like in 2021, this is very few people's first smartphone, right? This is yeah. like somebody's fifth iPhone or, or plus. And so it's just like there's less curiosity, I think. But I guess that's sure. exactly what we're, we're arguing here.
1: So, you mentioned you, you've probably failed more than any developer ever on the App Store, which is really cool. I mean, I, I in some ways feel the same way. I mean, I'm, I'm not nearly as prolific as you, but I mean, I've had, gosh, like 26 apps and maybe four or five have been, you know, reasonably uh, successful. Um, but so I'm going to put you on the spot here. Are there any any things that really stick out of like, you know, or, and, and like I can think of one app because I'm still working in space, the space, your weather app, but yeah. Are there any apps that you can point to and say, you know, I learned a very specific lesson from this app um, in those failures? Because I think a lot of people who've only ever had one app and that one app was super successful, there's kind of a confirmation bias. Like, I'm awesome. I did everything right. But it's like they don't even know what they don't know. They don't know what they did wrong. They just happened to, like, hit some level of product market fit. So any, any specific apps and lessons uh, you learned from these failures?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it is like failure is obviously a complicated thing because I think I learned something from all of them. And so in some ways they were, they were useful, but I think from a financial perspective is mostly what I'm talking about when they're sort of a failure on that. And I think the two areas that the biggest mistakes that I've learned is to, for, one is under trying to really understand and having an honest evaluation of the size of the market you're addressing. Um, and some of the things that I've launched are very focused. We're very niche. And That kind of a thing, it it is possible to make it work, but the economics are incredibly difficult and you're dealing with a very uphill battle. If you're dealing with something that um, is only ever going to be useful to 10,000 people, then great that for the 10,000 people, it might be really cool, but it's very unlikely you're going to make a sustainable living on an an app that, that unless your economics can be so high that each one of those people is giving you a substantial amount of money on an ongoing basis. And I think some of my failures were things where I was like, Ooh, this is really cool. And it's an app that does this, that, you know, something, something very specific, and it doesn't really end up working out. And I think the other thing that I found too, is just having that sense of, um, that, apps, understanding what are the ongoing costs related to an app gonna be, and making sure that the economics of that can balance out. And so in your example of my weather app, ultimately, like the app was successful, it had um, a reasonably good user base, but this was in, it existed in a time before uh, subscriptions were a thing, like they just didn't exist in the app store. And so the economics of trying to make it so that people could continuously, you know, pay for the, the weather data that I had to buy for it just wasn't there. And at a certain point it became, it's like a change from being a business to a charity because I was spending more money mm-hmm. um, on the back end than I was, you know, getting people on an ongoing basis. And that was something that I don't think I really, it's easy when I'm building something to just ignore that because the costs, especially early on are so low when you look at these things. And especially with, mo- with, with most, if you're some kind of data service or some kind of hosting provider or something, you often will have a free tier or something yeah. that like the, and if in some ways success can be your own failing because you haven't taken into account that oh if this you know if i get any amount of volume then suddenly i'm going to be spending thousands of dollars a month supporting this app and if the economics aren't balanced for that then it can you have to you know essentially shut it down and deal with that and i think those are two things for that it's usually when an app has failed it's because either i didn't fully understand what the ongoing costs were going to be, or I didn't sort of, real, I wasn't realistic about how big of a market it is. Yeah. Uh,
2: yeah, the unit <clears throat> you know, economics are tricky because at the beginning it's, um it's hard to get good data because everything's so small. It's like, oh, I can't yeah. really tell. I don't really know what my CAC is or what my cost of service cogs are. So you're just like, whatever. And then by the time it matters, it's too late <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> in, in some cases.
0: And, <laughs> and I will say, too, that you just used several terms that I have no idea what they mean. Um, and I think this is another failing on oh. my part that, like, you know, like <laughs> ca- my CAC and my cost of service cogs, like, I don't know. It's, 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 <laughs> Sorry. It's, it's, this is fun, which is fine. I think, but that's a educational a moment. Yes. Cost of user <laughs> acquisition
2: and what's cogs? Cost of goods sold sorry yeah there you go. those were like those like, were things i didn't learn until i had a SaaS company though to be honest yeah. <laughs> right like it's it's interesting like um yeah the different which 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 i mean just highlights kind of the world we're in now right which is where most app developers are running a SaaS business right um and which, which you were with the weather app you just didn't kind of think about it in those terms yeah. it was like an app with an api but really it was a SaaS business um and and uh that's why we're here at subclub.com, to educate people. Actually, it's not .com, .co, or whatever. Yeah. But, well, but it, it, I
0: think there is definitely that teachable moment in that insofar as it's just, it's that's another aspect of that failing, is I think it's so easy coming at it from an engineering background that mm. I can get ex- too excited about the engineering aspects of what I'm doing, that I think, that, oh, there's this is cool cool new API. There's this fun new feature. There's this cool problem I'm solving. And I can go down, you know spend a month of my time building this app, And then in the end, I haven't really thought about the marketing side or the economic realities or all of those things. And in some ways it's like, that's fine because part of what I'm like, what I'm good at is the engineering. And if anything, I've been able to just engineer my way out of this problem by keeping, I can just keep building. And eventually I've had enough things that just kind of naturally hit. Um, and it isn't necessarily the most efficient way to do it or a way I'd recommend it, but I think that is an aspect of my failing where it is. You know, and it's, the, it's also the reality of being an independent developer where, like, I don't have a staff, I don't have anyone else in that regard. And so it's not like I have a business, you know, a, a business team or someone doing user acquisition or any of those things, which uh, on the one hand is great because it means my costs are really low, that, you know, I, mm-hmm. my, my revenue is divided by one and I get to, you know, and I keep it. So but if, if I was a team of five people and I'm dividing my revenue by five, it's quite a hard thing to, you know. Or have five times the 5x the revenue and so it's, it's like a trade-off that you in some ways it'd be great if i had both could have both but i'm not sure if it's actually reasonable or, or practical too
2: i mean really though that's it's it's a good algorithm for finding uh you know new new apis are the absolute version of the market shifting right it's when something sure. gets created right there's a new opportunity so exploring those and understanding those and finding out how you can remix those with existing ideas that might that you know as, as a as a team of one where one is an engineer, that's kind of your strategic advantage, right? It's might, yeah. it might not be ASO. It might not be acquisition all these other things. Uh, it might be like, Hey, what can I do? Cool stuff with computers. And I think historically <laughs> that's been a pretty good, uh, ROI for a, for a lot of companies. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily call that a weakness. Uh, sure. even though it's, it's both right. But
1: yeah. And that, that specifically has been part of your strategy, right? So like you, you know i mean widget smith which we'll we'll get to in a little bit but even um, watch plus plus pedometer plus plus uh, or watch smith sorry um, sure. yeah tell us ab- about your thinking around using these new apis to get attention to uh, to doing something that's never been done before as marketing which which is is, is a great way to do it
0: Yeah, well, I think it's so this is certainly something I've done time and time again, that like Pedometer Plus Plus, which is uh, after Widgetsmith, the the most successful thing I ever made was the first Pedometer app in the App Store. And it was, you know, when the iPhone 5S launched, Apple introduced a a step counting chip into it. And it was the first app that took care of it. And it's like for a few weeks, even it was the only one. And it was one of my strategic advantages is the fact that I'm just one guy who really likes to program and is pretty good at doing things quickly. And that means that I can be there on day one. And mm. I think that's beneficial in sort of two main ways that being out there early is something that often gets Apple's attention and it's ebbed and flowed in terms of whether that's important for Apple featuring you or not, but it's never a bad thing to, for, for Apple to feature you or to get on their radar. And, you know, as a, an, an independent developer, that's one of the few things that I have that I can kind of pull on that Apple gets excited about, where on day one, here's this app that takes care of this new thing that they're trying to sell their new phone with or yeah. whatever and that, that speed, kind of-
2: That speed, even like a one person team compared to like a three or five person team, there's a real advantage if it's just one person, like no communication overhead, no nothing, like you can just do it all. In your brain and like it's really hard to be I mean I'm I'm saying this is watching having watched our company grow so much. It's like wow the the just like getting all these folks coordinated at the same time really is a different world than when it's just yourself like trying to put things together quickly.
0: Yeah. I mean I think that that that's just such a, a the other aspect of this just so much it's it's so so often I can do something faster than anyone else. Not necessarily because there's something magic about me, but it's just, I don't have it. There's no, it's not like it does that. Oh, there's a designer who will, you know, do a bunch of specs. And then that's going into a, we'll have, then we'll have a sprint planning meeting and we'll break up the features. And it's this whole thing (laughs) that like, that's not my process. I just open up Xcode and start working. And so it's, you know, it maybe it means that I'm, you know, it's like, and I end up with, as long as I have a, a good idea in my mind, I can just be driving towards it. I don't need to go through a lot of infrastructure to get that. Like I don't have, you know, a roadmap with, tasks with you know sort of issues that i'm working through and burning down my like whatever all those software things that you need <laughs> to do if you have a big team and are valuable but i just don't exist for me and so there's that extra multiplier and i think being there early is just it gets it gets attention and it creates opportunity that there's a vacuum it's, it's a short-lived thing you know the um if I, you know if i had launched Widgetsmith a few a few weeks later i don't think it would have mattered it would have complete like it is this very ephemeral like Thing once you know once a year there's this giant opportunity for me, and I've do- sort of dove in and t- taken advantage of it several times. And sometimes it's worked, and sometimes it hasn't. You know, like my iMessage App Store apps didn't go anywhere, but that turned out that was a market that didn't exist. But I spent my summer making sure that I was there. And if they had if they had been really important and was super cool, and Apple cared about it a lot, then I would have been there. And you never know that ahead of time, unfortunately, but. That's, I think just something that a small team can benefit tr- dramatically from is like taking advantage of that and being okay with two of not shipping things that are as robust and complicated as fair enough. If I was a five person team, it could do more or have more capabilities or, you know, be localized into more, more languages or also launch on Android or whatever those things that I, that you would imagine would be beneficial. I don't have those, but like, it's just a trade-off for me.
2: Yeah. Uh, when the app stores your marketing channel primary, right. It makes a lot of sense. We yeah. did this at, when I was at elevate, this was a constant strategy for us was what is Apple interested in? Even, even for us, we were a team of 10 or 20 at that stage, but like, um, adding APIs. Oh yeah, sure. It kind of makes sense. Okay. Yeah. We can add that. Like not on our product program, not really something, but like, yeah, the, the benefits were tangible, but as you kind of mentioned, it has gotten. At some point i think for a team of that size the the benefits of being in the like what's new i forget what the they used to always have a feature like what's new in ios whatever um and you would get in that and it would be a pretty good feature but that has gone down over time so now it's like it's exclusively the (laughs) to the benefit of really small developer teams right (laughs) that they can take advantage of that
0: yeah well and it's just i think that the impact of being fe- because to your earlier point about i think fewer people are searching for apps and so being in a featured list in the app store is not as the, is not the thing that it used to be that i remember the first time i got featured in the app store and it was Man, crazy. like just it was it was it was completely mind-bending it right? Go from like,
2: more, yeah we right? lasted
0: a week and i went from you know maybe i was having like in the tens of downloads a day to suddenly i'm having like tens of thousands of downloads a day and it was just yeah. like like completely mind bending, but that's not the reality anymore. Like that that multiplier isn't there in, in, in the same way. Like it's, it's lovely to be featured, but it also is very muted now because it's not, it's not for a week. It's kind of on this random algorithmically driven basis where if you're the app of the day, you're actually the app of the day only for one person necessarily. Like it's not like everyone in the world got it that day um it's and so those those things lessen the impact of it and their their benefit becomes more in aggregate rather than kind of in an acute way
1: One one of the things you mentioned kind of in passing there was um not having to wait on a designer and that's something i actually wanted to talk about um i you know as much as it's like the apple ethos to be pixel perfect and to like have these like amazing you know Leather stitched icons back in the day, sure. or whatever. Um, I regret spending as much as I did and kind of letting design in some ways overly drive the process. Because um, as an independent developer, where every penny I spend is, is money that's not going into my pocket, you know, I spent tens of thousands, probably over well over $100,000 on design over the last 13 years. Um, and f- from what I understand, you've spent very little. So, so yeah. I mean, it sounds like that's intentionally part of your strategy. It's like, you don't, one, you were saying, you know, you're not a team of five, so you keep your expenses down, but two, you're you you're also not waiting on them. So it, yeah, it was at a, have you spent much on, on design over the years or have you done it all yourself? And then has that been a very intentional for, for speed and cost?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think, I've certainly tried spending money on design in over the thirteen years. Like, I, it's it's not that I've never done it, but it's it is it. I it was never it never paid off for me enough that it for it to be something I continued doing. And I don't think I've done it in five six years now. Mm. Um, and at this point, the only design that I typically will ever pay for is app icon design, because um, that's just something that. I can't do very well myself Though even like recent, like widget Smith, the icon I made myself. Cause it's just a <laughs> blue round rect. like I, I, I could handle that. And
2: <laughs> it's like, a good icon. I think,
0: yeah, which is, but it's fine. Like it's, it's number it's, five think, in
2: productivity, not doing so bad. You know, I think you're pretty, I think you're a like, pretty good icon designer actually,
0: yeah. <laughs> you know, and I, and I think, but it's to the point of like, I think it, it's, it's easy enough to like, if you, if you try to learn basic design and get competent at the basics, you can go. That can take you a very long way. And I think really elegant, new, fancy design that's doing really like groundbreaking or cool things with fancy animations and all that stuff. Like I love it when I am using an app that does that. But that kind of design, um, like that, takes a tremendous toll on your development process. And I think mm. a and like a, a if you're a thoughtful de- de- developer who wants is willing to put in the work to just kind of like study what the basics of design are. You know you can get good enough that you can do a lot of it yourself and i think that's something that has worked really well for me um, and i think it's also been to my benefit that it isn't necessarily that i'm not waiting on a designer it is that i'm able to I, i'm a better developer because i understand I, I took the time to study what makes a good design for an app and so i'm that informs my development, and then it allows me to build things that will be, you know, that are structured in such that right. the design will naturally flow from it. And those types of differences that if I just was being hand handed a list like here's a, a you know a handful of mockups, go and build it, and I don't really understand why things are structured the way they are, then I would I often find myself in kind of I'd pay myself into technical corners that. Uh, if, if you if you are responsible for both the design and the development, you're that the two are blending yeah. together really well. And so I think it's something that I certainly recommend. and I think like I mean, some of the best apps I think have come out of the one developer, one designer teams. like I think that is a can can be a useful model, but for me, it's just something that I think you know, in the same way that often I've you know I've known many designers who learn just enough coding to be able to sort of to, to make the basics like you could the same thing can go the other way that um, a, a developer who puts in a little bit of time and is a student of what like if you're using something and you start paying attention to why is this good um, and you don't try and overreach and like yeah. try and do things that are beyond your capability, like I can make a really nice clean UI. I can't make a you know something that is cl- is clever and fancy and that's that's fine. and I' just if I scale my design, scale my applications to fit what I can do, then I'm I'm fine.
2: Yeah. I, uh, I'll share in that, like we're revenue cat. We didn't have a, I mean, we have a full-time, uh, product designer now that helps with like dashboard work and stuff like that. But we didn't have, I was the only person doing design for the first two years and very similar. Like I I knew going into it, it was my weak spot. So I spent a few weeks one summer just like taking, I took a like online color theory class and then I just like learned did some like basic tutorials, got really good at sketch and like made some mockups and, you know i had worked with a lot of great designers and kind of had knew what the process was like um but yeah again it's like what's your advantage and in your case it's the apis and being first to market and all that stuff and so you're not likely to get a lot of like you know, leverage or whatever out of having really great design you just needed to be functional you needed to be good enough something that's not going to turn people off right <laughs> when they see the app on and that's and that's kind of the bar and yeah i i agree with you i think it's actually pretty easy to achieve Um, at a, you know, with a, with a minimal investment.
0: Yeah. And I think you also, it's, I'm very, I very much like a model where the initial upfront costs are as low as possible. And if I need to double down on something and like, it becomes a situation where, Oh, now I need design resources or I need something more graphically oriented or like things arise, like I'm delighted to spend money on an app that's making money. Yeah, exactly. It, rather than spending the money on something before it's even proven itself to yeah, have any Yeah, we've spent legs. a lot
2: on design since like, Revenue counts <laughs> hit like, our stride, but in the early days, it was like, nah, like, this API. It's like the, the design of the JSON is more important than the, the website.
0: Exactly.
1: Yeah, and it, it does force this kind of function over form approach, and I think that's where your apps have really succeeded is that, they're, is that you focus on them doing things well like it's serving a specific purpose and serving that specific purpose very effectively. And that's where I think a lot of the kind of form over function design, even within Apple, I think Apple still makes this mistake a lot of, of focusing too much on, on how things are going to look and how things are going to uh, come across versus like, well, how, how is it actually going to be used by people? Um, And uh, I, you know, that's where I think I've fallen down a lot as well Is like spending so much time on these pretty graphics. And then, and then everything then like the user, you can't like iterate quickly on a user interface based on feedback when it's all so polished Mm. and pixel perfect. Like it's so much harder to do iterative design to enhance the usability of an app when, when there's so many barriers and then so much already kind of like set in stone because it was designed this way and you, you can't uh step back out of that as easily. So, yeah, I think I think it's great the way you've you've done that.
2: The the one thing that resonated with me, you said David was um just how uh a designer if they don't fully and I love designers, all my designer friends are going to hate me for fucking <laughs> bad about designers, but I think one one universal experience of a developer is when you get handed something that is it looks great and like functional on paper, but like there's just like because there isn't like internal knowledge of UI kit, <laughs> right? Yeah. And just like uh, this thing that looks like, yeah, I know it's just pixels and it should be really simple, but like it's actually going to add hours and days to my, to my, and, and, you know, if you're not an assertive developer, that's going to be like, no, I'm just not going to do it. Well, you can do that on your business, right? But like, because you own it. but but if it you know if you work on a team or whatever sometimes there's a lot of loss there where a developer will feel and also like um uh feel like it's a challenge right like oh yeah, yeah. I can do that right and they end up over investing in these ornate uh user experiences or user, user interface elements um it just like you talk about like ROI and whatever like just not there you know um so i i think it's a very like prudent approach
1: yeah for sure so I did want to touch on real quick, and um, I want to get to Widget Smith and talk more about that, but um, I wanted to touch on the, your iOS version stats. So um, it's something I've really appreciated over the years. There's, uh, Flurry has, has published stats here and there, but your site has been like my go-to place to say, uh, you know, how's iOS 14 adoption going? How are, do so you publish publicly? The, the version stats of your audiobooks app, which is a fairly broad market app. It's not perfectly representative probably of the entire market. Um, but yeah, tell me about why you published that and then do you actually run a custom analytics stack to power that? Um, or, or do you have a third party analytics provider that you just pull the stats in from?
0: Yeah, so I mean, that came from I think there were certainly, I mean, I'm running it for years and years because in the early days of the app store, there just wasn't good data on this kind of thing. And it was so, I, I've, I remember finding that it was just so frustrating where I, I, I couldn't get a basic sense of like the different device distributions and uh, iOS adoption rates and things. And so I just wrote something uh, myself to do this. And I, sort of shared it because it was really helpful. I thought I, I, you know, it's like, I, if, if it's helpful for me, it's going to be helpful for someone else. Um, and audiobooks was the best app I had to make the public version of this for because it was the, my broadest kind of user base, um, that it wasn't as uh, like Panometer pedometer is great, but it's dealing with people who are fitness oriented. And so like my, mm-hmm. some of my adoption numbers are like, there's a skew to it. And it's a bit less uh, mass market. Um, but it's all built in custom. Um, I, I, I've used analytics packages and things before, but, um, in the, in, especially with Apple being, it's a sort of like the, the the privacy consciousness and things, it became something that I just didn't want to have as, I want to have the minimum amount of third party code in my apps as I could. And something like the, the kind of analytics I'm collecting is very easy to do as just a little, um, sort of custom thing that I wrote that's just, you know, it's just a little website that's collecting some very basic stats and being thoughtful about making sure that it doesn't log essentially anything except for very anonymized, uh, aggregated things. So I don't collect any user level uh, information whatsoever. It's all just being collected um, at, at, at an aggregate level. And It's just something that I wrote, and it's it's a you know a basic thing, and I think it's a useful tool because this is sort of to the same thing of a question about velocity. It's like you can't know when you can drop old old devices or which device to optimize for unless you actually collect that data and you actually look at it. Um, And so, like right now, for example, something that I, I like, I always try and optimize my apps for the iPhone XR. Um, because in all of my apps, it is by far that screen size. Um, so that it's the iPhone 10 or the iPhone 11, um, those are by far the most popular phones, um, in the world right now. And so like, that's my primary testing device. That's where I start, but I wouldn't know that if I wasn't collecting that kind of data and, you know, sort of, I wouldn't have guessed that necessarily. And especially because I live in the like Apple tech ecosystem in I would, you know, in my mind, oh, it's probably just like the pro size, you know, like the, the, the mm-hmm. 11 pro is probably the the most popular phone because that's what all my friends have. But, um, that's actually not the case. That's, you know, that it, that is a popular phone, but it's by, by no means the, the most popular. And so having that kind of data to, to back up my choices and making sure that, you know, it's like, I, op- I, I, if I'm doing a design, I'll optimize it for that and then adjust it for the other ones rather than going the other way around. Or if I'm doing screenshots for the app store, I make sure that my screenshots are perfect for that one And even if sometimes i'll do you know for the my mi- the, the more minor phones i might just say like use the you know scale down the the assets for something else but that's a size that i will for sure use and i think also it speaks to there was a, i think this, there's still a, some of this but maybe a bit less but in the earlier eight days of the app store there was a, i felt like there was a, a group of people who were kind of we felt like we were in this together and um, uh, like especially among kind of indie small developers, we tend to try and like help each other out. And so like I made that public, it was an internal dashboard. And then I just like, well, let me just publish this to a different URL. Um, because if it's, you kind of kind of just help out. And I think that was a nice thing that I think there's just, there are fewer indies than there used to be. Um, but it's certainly an aspect of the community that I think is still nice when there are, there are some aspects of it that still exist.
2: Uh, it's also really nice to... Have um, usually I would caution people to roll to, against rolling their own, right? Uh, but uh, I think there is this like somewhat unserved niche of some of these tools get really expensive, even like an amplitude or a mixed panel or whatever. They're they're more they're the pricing uh, often is more favorable towards B two B and like smaller headcount kind or smaller like user base size apps, um, yeah. and you can lose this this like kind of information. I and I gather it's not an app store connector. It's probably crappy if it is. Uh, it's like so. some of it's
0: in there, but not really <laughs> in a way that like I, app store connect sometimes has some of this stuff, but I, I like, I like just having it myself. And there's also, it means that I can do additional beyond just, um, demographic collection. There are a few things that I will do in here where, you know, I can add in a hook and say, you know, Oh, I, like, do does anybody ever open this page of the app? And I can do a mm. little basic, like those kind of basic analytics things that you can't do on that, do an app store connect. Um, and so I can put, you know, put this into my system and do those kind of basic collections, which a more sophisticated analytics package is just like, that's just a basic feature of it. But, um, it's a, it gives you that kind of middle ground and it's, it's just, a, it's a tricky reality of, you know, Apple wants, you know, I have to put on my privacy things, all the, you know, all the things that I do. And so if I start using a third party thing, I have to be completely on board yeah. with everything they're using my data for. Um, And so sometimes it's easier to just roll it, have it be basic and simple. I mean, the actual these apps are not complicated. Or I think the initial version of this was actually I just based it on the error log of a a nginx server where I just ran it. They would make make the request or
2: something. Yeah,
0: yeah, they would just make the request and they would actually just all four hundred four. Like the the analytics requests were just four (laughs) hundred four, and I would just parse the error log and add it to a, a SQL file, and it's like. That, that was super straightforward and easy you, to build you, and it's just a you script invented half it's... of mix
2: panel basically, <laughs> like,
0: <and> one... <laughs> you know, and like, that's where I think mostly just to say is it doesn't have to be hot, like super sophisticated and fancy. this is a backend utility tool, so you can very easily, like you could go crazy making it fancy, or you can just, you know, write a little script to process a log file and it, it'll get just as much data out of it.
1: Yeah, that's great. Um, I, I did want to touch on, on WidgetSmith. You, you've talked about it at length. So um, there's a great episode with you and Marco, I think what came out like two weeks after WidgetSmith hit number one. And so that, that's a really fun episode. People can kind of go get the history, but it, it, it's a cool kind of um, culmination of this story of launching 56 different apps, trying all these different things. And then you, you go after these brand new features with the widgets in iOS 14, and um, somebody picks the app up on TikTok, it goes viral, it hits number one in the app store. Just such a cool story as an indie developer to, to hit number one. And, and, and again, you've told a lot of that story um, uh, other places, so I don't want to just rehash the whole story. Um, but there were a, a couple of things that I, I wanted to go over, and I don't know if you've talked about it um, since. So, one of the things that i think would be interesting to follow up on is just how the um durability has been so like you hit number one it stayed there for like gosh like weeks right or almost yeah, a it was month. about two or three and weeks. Then, depending on the market yeah so how is it how has that gone since and like you're still like number five you're, you're in the top 10 of productivity regularly um ha- has the app been durable um um download wise and revenue wise, like how has how it gone after hitting number one? Like,
0: I mean, I think it is, it certainly continues to be my most successful app. And I think it probably it seems like it will be for, for, for quite some time. And, you know, obviously the, the first couple of weeks were insane and completely like mind bending. And, you know, I think I, I exceeded my le- like to date app store downloads, you know, of all my apps over the last 13 years were in a few hours of. When it kind of hit that crazy moment,
2: we've seen a couple on Remedy Cast, like a couple of viral events like that, and I am blown away every single time. It's it's more like it, it outpaces the app store featuring like by ten or a hundred x. It's insane.
0: And I think that, and obviously that that was really cool and fun and, ex- and like exciting and a little bit like scary and t- like terrifying. But I think it's what's I didn't know where it would where it would settle down to, and it's like where is that? Because obviously the nature of something being a flavor of the moment is that like that moment ends and it just vanishes like the the driver behind that you know it's not like it's being featured in tiktok videos anymore and at least not in the same way and so the durability i believe now is largely just coming from the fact that 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 initial spike generates enough kind of ongoing word of mouth advertising that the nature of especially the nature of what it does is it put something cool on your home screen and it has that natural, if someone sees your home screen or you show them something or you share a screenshot, um, it has the name of the app in it. And it's like, it, it has that natural, Oh, I want to do that too. ness to it. Uh, and that seems to be where the durability has come from because, um, I've, tried sort of like the, the sort of like the paid marketing things to try and keep something going and for me the it's, it's a model that gets ve- it's it's very hard to not just like lose your shirt on because you can so easily yeah. spend way out spend what you're getting back or it's not so if you have
2: somebody else's money to blow
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> and so like for me it's just it, it never makes sense and so like i I want if, if something's going to be something that i keep working on it needs to be sustainable kind of on its own and for it, it's still, you know, it still continues to do really well on a, on a, on a download basis. And is also, um, it's, you know, it, it has, is monetized both with advertising and with subscriptions. And so, you know, the, the two together create a really nice sustainable, um, revenue for me that it's based mostly on usage rather than, needing necessarily to have big spikes and downloads to keep it going it's like as long as people keep using the app um, if they're opening it they'll see ads or if they're you know power users and you know, who really want like the pro features of it and they pay for a subscription you know if it's pro- continuing to provide value to them that they'll continue subscribing and so it's that durability has been there i think largely it certainly is easy to be durable when you have this wild spike at the beginning to kind of kickstart that um effort um but it's it's it, seems like the there's enough ongoing utility of it that it, people keep using it and um that has a natural sort of knock-on effect of you know people just t- telling their friends about it and i mean it's kind of a cool thing that um even after you know many millions of downloads it continues to find new art find it find a new market and people continue to sign up for the subscription and it's it's that's happening sort of on its own without me having to necessarily do anything other than just keep adding, you know, features and improvements to it. I don't need to worry necessarily on that side of things as much.
1: Yeah. One of the things that I was, um, initially taken aback by, but now see the, the maybe accidental brilliance of how permissive you were with the feature. So. Um, and I, ma- I made a mistake with Launch Center Pro. I was actually trying to kind of ride your coattails with my app, and um, I w- was much more aggressive with the paywall. So I paywalled one of the like more prominent features instead of instead of paywalling some of the the lesser features. And then to your point earlier about like user acquisition, you know, part of how you make user acquisition work is that you force you can't pay. Five dollars for a download, if you know one out of two hundred people are paying you. Um, but Widget smith going viral, it, it went viral in part because you were so permissive with the features. So like, how did you decide where to draw the line in, in, in the paywall? Um, yeah, how did, how did you make those decisions?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think i think a lot of this comes from a place of my goal is to i want a business that lets me keep developing like what i love and what i enjoy is programming that's 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 i'm gifted in it i enjoy it i love it and i will just keep doing it like if it wasn't my job i'd probably still be making apps um but and so i don't i'm not chasing some kind of like wild exit or something dramatic and so i think i i feel like I want to make things that people will like using and that won't be annoying or irritating and um, that I can feel proud of at the end of the day. Like that I'm not, you know, like the people who are paying for my subscription are paying it out of a genuine desire to support the app, to do the really advanced, like, these are my super fans who really care about it. Um, And they're the people who I'm sort of sort of going after for that. And so I don't didn't feel necessarily compelled to make the paywall up all in your face and be limiting features and kind of doing those types of things. And in this case, it worked out really well because it, you know, it, it created a, um, it created its own marketing machine as a result. And like what I gave up potentially in having a less permissive market, uh, pay paywall strategy I made up for in essentially free marketing for, because the app is used by so many more people. And I think that trade-off is something that's easy. It's like, I don't have, or I don't necessarily want to spend the capital to acquire those people. But in some ways I'm spending that capital by just making my paywall more permissive and making it have a natural, more virality to it. Um, and that for me, I think works well for everybody that like more people are getting more out of the app and, um, I, I benefit from it, it, it sort of coming along. And I don't think it was, it's not like that. this grand strategy that I had for it, but it was just in general, if someone's going to pay me something, I want for what they're paying to be something that is super clear, is super straightforward, and is compelling. That is something that I feel like I would pay for. That it isn't an arbitrary restriction or something mm-hmm. that feels kind of, Uh, mean-spirited that sometimes a lot of paywalls can you can run into these limitations that feel completely contrived that there isn't a reason for like most of what i'm people paying me for in Widgetsmith are things like my weather data the tide data and some graphical assets things that i have to pay for that there are there are ongoing and tangible costs that i have to pay so i can't make those free because then i go out of business because millions of people are requesting weather data like that doesn't work for me and so making it paid feels good to me. And I think it works well. But I think that's definitely something that you can get. If you're too stingy with you, with what you offer, you're kind of like shooting yourself in the foot because you're, you know, you, you want to make that first run experience feel so good that people yeah. want to keep coming back. And if you get too uptight that the first thing you, the first thing the app does when you open the app is ask for money. Like if I open that app, I'm just closing that app and deleting it. Like, I don't want to, I, I don't want that, that, that my I mean, first that's, experience that's, to be them asking.
2: That's an app that's paying for distribution, basically, is what you can tell. (laughs) And if you're not, then like, I mean, I think this is not a common, an uncommon strategy, but 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 you know, optimizing for distribution early, becoming not a monopoly because there's other apps like Widgetsmith, but becoming a dominant like player or like the best app, you get data, you get usage, you get word of mouth, you get a brand. And then in the future, if it becomes an operational requirement that you make more money per download or whatever, like, oh, you have a lot of levers there and you can go about it more thoughtfully than if you try to, like, try to shoot blindfolded, like, from from the start. There's just no way you can, you're going to be able to get And I, I, I talked to a lot of people getting ready to make their subscription apps and whatever. And they're like, uh, they're going back and forth. Like, oh, what should I put on my paywall? What should I, whatever? And I'm just like, D- just don't think about it too much. <laughs> just don't do something stupid. Like just do something reasonable and normal. And don't try to be too clever. And then, you know, be prepared to iterate and change like over time. Cause it's inevitably will.
1: That's good advice. This is such a fascinating talk. I wish we could talk another hour just on, on, on paywall strategies and, and, premium i think a lot of developers do make the mistake in the subscription space of because they're spending so much on user acquisition they have to be more aggressive with the paywall but then in the long run you're 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 paying for users that you immediately ostracize you know if you're if you're only getting you know 10% to start your free trial and then, then only 50% of those convert like you're paying for all these people who ultimately have a bad experience in your app. And so it works because that's their model, but, but they're leaving a lot on the table long run by not having a more per, uh, permissive freemium strategy where you can get people in using the app, finding value, and then over time bringing them along. And it seems like that's part of what Widget Smith has done well with. Like you didn't start with ads. Ads came later, right? And then the paying for assets, I think, came later as well. Um, so, like exactly to Jacob's point, it's like you just got out there with a great product, you know, found that product market fit. It went viral. I mean, you know, it probably wouldn't be the success it is today without that. But, but then you've kind of layered on some additional money making over time, and so that's great. Um, but anyhow, we're we're at the top of the hour. I need to to wrap up. Um, uh, in the show notes, we'll have links to your uh Twitter underscore Smith. Underscore David Smith. Um Oh my God, I never realized the pun. Widget Smith,
2: David oh my God, I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's yeah. amazing. Yeah. The no, brand it is just it, so it's perfect. Throw it on right your lap. It's so great. Yeah.
0: That was a, as soon as it was one of those names where once I, once the name came to me, it's like, yep, that's the name. Oh, it's even, it's a good name
2: on its own. Right. And then, Oh, I just love when things are like tidy and tied up like that. It's so perfect. Sorry.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, I was just going to say anything else, uh, anything else you wanted to share or uh, anything else you want to to mention as we wrap up?
0: Yeah, no, I mean, I think we covered some good things and I think it is, I, I I always like sharing my story as an, as an independent developer, because I feel like in this industry, there, like, there's there's an aspect of it. I know this is something you know, I've listened to this Subclub podcast before. Like, there there's a, there's an industry and an and a, and a branch of this space that is very data oriented and like it, it, it's, it's you're built it's almost like you're building a machine to try like the, the, a business machine to try and like spin off money and it's all about how you're getting your conversion rep value to this and then you can put it into this and it's there's a very Like, and I, and I respect that. And I understand that 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 is a very like viable business. But I think what I, I always like sort of to to share the other side of the story where it's also possible to just make cool things and have them have just have enough, enough of a business in them that it makes a good living for you, but you don't need all of that infrastructure and all of that other things. And I think to our point we've made many times is if you have something that you take the approach of simplicity and straightforwardness and craftsmanship early you can shift and pivot and change as you go and if you start too numbers driven and you start too like kind of cold in that way um i think you can lose just as many opportunities um as, as as you could, and I personally, I enjoy this way. I think this is fun. I you know, I'm very excited about WWDC next week because it's the the time that I get to just discover what I'm going to launch this year, kind of that's thing. Great. And so, I'm very excited about that. And I think that excitement is something that I wouldn't have if I was you know building something that I didn't enjoy doing in in quite the same way.
1: Yeah, that's so great. Uh, well, thanks, David, so much for your time. And um, good luck next week. Thanks. <laughs>
0: To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player.
1: Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.